You are listening to the Restoration LA podcast. For more, visit us at restorationla.org. We started a series a few weeks ago called Revival. Can you say Revival? Uh, Revival. And uh, there's obviously historical revival that we have seen taking place in scripture and throughout the history of the church. Um, and I, I think if you've been listening to the series, the encouragement has been coming through of revival starts in the heart. Right? Revival starts with, with the person. Um, this, this understanding of revival is coming to life. Right. And this is what happens with us when we come to Jesus. We are coming to life. If you, if you remember the story of the prodigal son, the father tells his son, not the one who had was the prodigal, but the other son it says, rejoice with me for your your brother was dead and now has come back to life. So when we have come into this relationship with a living God, he has brought us back to life. And so there is seasons that maybe you have experienced in your walk with Jesus that uh, these experiences where there are seasons where you have needed to be rejuvenated or regenerated or restored or been revived. And uh, if any of you know uh, CPR, you kind of have an understanding of, of what that is to, you know, kind of revive somebody. Um, This is kind of the understanding of revival when it comes to the people of God. There are times and seasons when we've seen in scripture and maybe even in our own lives where we have drifted from the Lord and have needed revival, right? God has consistently brought people, drawn people back to himself to revive them. We see this with the nation of Israel. And then we see this with the birth of the church in the book of Acts. And uh, we are going to hang out primarily in this book uh, of Acts. But I want to bring these first two encouragements to us. And so before I start, I want to pray. Lord Jesus, we are thankful for your living word. We are thankful for this word that gives us truth. This word that is, is uh, uh, as an outpouring of your spirit, that we can be edified and strengthened and encouraged by it. We are thankful that it is relevant today. We are thankful that it, it penetrates every area of our life, every area of society, every area of this globe. You have an answer for it all, Jesus, and we look to you. We look to you through these, script- through these scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, if you're if you're writing down notes, the title of this message is I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Can you say all people? All people. Look at your neighbor. Say that means you. <laughs> Nobody looked at Russ. That <laughs> means you. Acts chapter two, verse 17. Uh, it, it, uh, I'm sorry. Verse seven. It reads like this. No, 17. Excuse me. It reads like this. In the last days. God says, can you say God says, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Another version would say all flesh, pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. How many of you have God dreams? Yeah. We, we, these things will happen in the last days. And, and, and think about this. We are closer to that day than they were 2,000 years ago when the Apostle Peter preached this sermon. We are closer to those last days than they were. Um, verse 18 says, In those days I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike. 
and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in heaven above and signs on earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark. The moon will turn um, blood red. I, I don't want to embarrass my sister, but I remember when we were younger, she would get freaked out every time the moon turned red. <laughs> she, she, because of these verses, we'd be freaking out. When I was growing up, you know, kind of the revelation and, and the second coming, it was, it was, we used to watch all of those movies of, you know, people getting beheaded for Jesus. And it was, it was a fearful thing, right? And how many of you know Jesus coming back is not a fearful thing? At the same we should be excited about the second coming of Christ. And so don't, don't, don't uh, trip out when you see the blood or, or the red turn, the moon turn red. Um, so the sun will become dark. The moon will turn to blood before that great and glorious day. The Lord arrives, but everyone listen to this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. Peter w- was using this portion of scripture from the prophet Joel, or if we're reading it in Spanish, Joel, right? Reading it from the prophet Joel, um, and he he was giving this to the people at Pentecost, and we see in, in Acts. And so when the Holy Spirit came upon those believers who were waiting on the gift that Jesus had promised, as, as they were waiting for this gift, and, and then the spirit falls, and then you begin to see people speak in, 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 in heavenly languages, and people begin to hear their own language being spoken in these, un, uh, these foreign tongues, right? We, Peter is explaining to them through the prophet Joel's writing and saying, this is what is happening. This is what is taking place. This is what was prophesied long ago. Uh, um, the spirit of God came like a rushing wind, right? Fire, right? Tongues of fire begin to fall upon these people. And when they, we see this receiving of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I want to read Joel's prophecy in Joel chapter two. And it is word for word what the apostle Peter used in Acts. Listen to this. Then after doing all those things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people, all people, your sons, your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And those days I will pour out my spirit, even on servants, men and women alike. I will cause wonders in heaven and on earth. Blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will become dark. The moon will turn to blood red before that great and terrible day of the Lord arrives, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Word for word, the exact same prophecy the apostle Peter gives to the people at Pentecost as Joel was given to the, the people of Israel from God. Joel was a mouthpiece of God. And as God would use the prophet Joel as a mouthpiece, this is what the Lord said. The prophet Joel was ministering, listen friends, in ninth century BC. This is over 900 years before we see what happens at Pentecost. And what we see here in this place is Old Testament, New Testament, B.C., A.D. And I know Christians, we like to say it's after death. It doesn't mean after death. Um, Old covenant, new covenant. Now that God has had the same desire that he will pour out his spirit on all people. Can you say all people? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God wants to pour his spirit out upon you? Because we can believe it corporately, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we carry this as children of God. God wants to pour out his spirit upon all people. 
And I think for some people that has become a, a, a fearful thing, especially when you start thinking about the, the, the revivals that the, the church has experienced, especially in this last hundred years. You know, we brought up some of those revivals that have taken place, you know, the Great Awakenings and, you know, Azusa Street Revival and some of the other revivals that have taken place in our region, even here in Los Angeles. And, and some of those things, they, they freak us out and, they, and, and it could, could be a little weird. And, and I think why it's like that is because we have tried to mimic what God has done with certain people in certain times, not realizing that God has something unique for each and every one of us. Are you with me? Um, what, one, of, one of my seminary professors, his name is uh, Russell Hayes, and he was from um, Bethany Theological Seminary. And he wrote this in his book called, it's a crazy title, Exorcism to Ecstasy, Eight Views of Baptism. And, and why it's exorcism to ecstasy. So exorcism, talking about water baptism. So they used to exercise the waters to make sure that there was no unclean spirits in those waters to make it holy. Right. And so then you see ecstasy where, you know, people experiencing this presence of God, of those who fallen under the power and the anointing of the spirit. And so eight views of, of, of baptism. And listen, this is what he writes in his book. The same baptism happens today. Can you say today in places around the world where listen, where the human heart is a clean and empty vessel, a clean and empty vessel. And at times when believers in Jesus are willing to tarry in prayer, I'm going to pause on his quote real quick. When did the spirit of God fall in Pentecost? When people were waiting on the promise and how were they waiting in prayer? They were praying and they were waiting together in a small place gathered so that God would send this promise. Right. And so it happens at times when believers in Jesus are willing to tarry in prayer. It happens today because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forevermore. And he's quoting Hebrews chapter 13, eight in that quote. Jesus is still the same. That same promise of the spirit is still available to God's people. The prophecy that was given by Joel 900 years before Peter uh, uh, prophesied this in his sermon to those who were observing what was happening at Pentecost. Listen, friends, is still the thing that is able uh, is tangible for us as a people of God today. Two thousand plus years later. This outpouring of the spirit, this understanding that God wants to fill us and revive us as a people. And if you believe that, say amen. 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 He, he, um, um, Russell wrote this a little bit later in his book. He said he would further write this. Jesus himself is the baptizer along with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the baptizer along with the Holy Spirit. He is also the only savior, the great physician. And the soon coming king, the soon coming king, this revelation of Jesus, I believe, is, is one of the co components that revives a people, whether it be an individual or whether it be a church or whether it be a, a, an entire nation. It just be this revelation of who Jesus is. Right. He is the baptizer along with the Holy Spirit. He is the savior. He is the great physician. He is the coming king. And if you believe that, you can say amen. So, so this is what this means. It means that, that Jesus has everything to do with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus has everything to do with revival. 
It has nothing to do with us. Yes, we can posture ourselves in a way where we can be ready to receive that which God has for us. But what happens is man tries to put our hands on things and create and mimic things that we have seen happen in the past. And when we do that, we create methods and it's no longer about the gifts. It's about, I mean, it's no longer about the gift giver. It's about the gifts. And when we elevate the gifts over the gift giver, we're absolutely missing something. Jesus is the gift giver and the gifts, the spiritual gifts, the outpouring of the spirit. These are gifts from the Lord. And and we also know that the Lord doesn't withhold any good gift from his children. The only thing we have to do with it is the posture of our lives to receive these things. Look at your neighbor and say, your posture matters. Historically, we know the church has experienced waves of revival and, and waves of the outpouring. We, we see this, right? Waves of revival, waves of the outpouring. We, and we see these things that have taken place. But I don't really believe that that was God's original intent. For there to be waves of this thing and this, you know, up, uh, these, these, these peaks and these valleys of us experience, experiencing the presence of God. If we go back to, to the, the Genesis narrative, we see that God's presence was tangible for humankind for all time. He would walk in the garden in the cool of the evening so that he can have relationship with Adam and Eve. This was his original intent for his, 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 his presence to be with us. And then even when we think about the power, what power was, was, was needed in that time, there was no sickness, there was no disease. Right? There was, there was no need of laying on of hands and no need of prophecy. We had direct connection with the Father. And this is a picture of what eternity is going to be like. The Apostle Paul tells us in his writings that, hey, all of these gifts are going to all fail at some time because when we get to heaven, it's going to be us and the Lord. Right? There's going to be no need to lay on of hands. There's going to be no need for us to be prophesying over each other or doing all of those things. But this gift of love will remain. This relational connection with us and our father. And I believe that's what the outpouring was about. It was about the father loving us so much that he wanted to give us his tangible presence for all time. Once again, like he did in Genesis when we were created. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That we get God's presence 24-7. So why the peaks and valleys? Why the desperation I believe because we fall out of connection with the Lord. We fall out of connection with Jesus, either whether it's personally, I believe it can happen corporately as well. I, I, I believe that, that, that uh, the, the, the ecclesiology, of a, ecclesiology of a church can get hijacked and, and it no longer be about Jesus. It, be, it, it can become about other things. And then we see this disconnection between a church and Jesus. I think nowadays when, when God's spirit chooses to show up in miraculous ways, the church um, dissects the, contrib- the contributing fact- factors of those happenings, and then we try to duplicate it. But how many of you know that God's not about duplication? He's about multiplication. Right? And so I don't have to look at someone's life and say, oh, man, if I want to you know, be a spirit-filled man like Ken Furlow, I got to watch him and mimic everything he does, and maybe I'm going to get what he has. You have direct access to God and his spirit. 
And you don't have to mimic anyone. It's a multiplication. We, we, we can catch what other people have, but we don't have to mimic because the spirit of God is given to each and every one of us. Do you believe that? But, it, but it's understandable why we, we can do this as a church or why we dissect. And man, we did all of these things and then boom, that service was awesome. Like I was just contemplating worship this morning. I was like, wow, this is an amazing set. Like I'm just enjoying worship and I'm like, I need to compliment, you know, Pam for picking this set and leading us in, in worship this morning. And so like what, what, what could happen is because we want, we want that to happen again is Pam, we have to sing these songs next week and then the next week too. And then probably till the end of the year, we're going to use this one set so that we can feel the way we felt on August 15th, Sunday morning, and then we could do it again and again and again. And then really what, 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 what happened by the spirits leading becomes bondage because now Pam has to do the same songs. Steph has to play the same chords. Caleb has to beat the same drums for us to feel those exact same things that we felt. And so we create methods rather than allowing the spirit of God to lead us in new ways because he is tangible and he is available to us 24 seven. But what happens is because we're so hungry for his presence, right? And, 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 and we should, we should all desire to experience the power of the living God. But we, we try to create recipes for this and we just can't do that. This is God's work. Can you, can you say that with me? Revival. Is, is God's work. Revival is God's work. So listen, we should de desire the authentic, not the counterfeit. The authentic, not the counterfeit. And so we can't take what people are doing in other places and we can learn. We can absolutely learn. But we, we don't have to look to the other churches and other, other movements and other things. We, God is here. God is with us. And it's the same with your life. Right? We want the authentic. We don't want the counterfeit. Right? Next, we should desire his presence. But listen, we should desire them over the methods. Right? We should desire his presence over the methods. If, we, if, if, it, if this is X, Y, and Z to, to get his presence, then this is us reaching up to him to make it happen rather than God. Right? Giving his presence to us freely as a gift. And then next, we should desire the gift giver over the gifts, the gift giver over the gifts. And because what happens with, with, with the gifts, especially the charismatic gifts, right? The, the, the speaking of tongues and, you know, maybe those even being slain in the spirit. And we, you, you make those things happen, right? I, I've been in services and um, where, where have you ever caught up for prayer? Right. And like me, me anointing service. And then, you know, the, 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 the way that they believe that you have to express being touched by the Holy Spirit as you, you fall over or you speak in tongues. And so they make it happen, right? You know, someone put their hand on you and pushes you over and you're like, oh God, like what happens? And, and I've been in services where I have experienced the authentic power of God, the weighty presence of God, where I felt like I just need to get on my knees right now. Right. This place is holy. Like the presence of God is here. And I've been in the place where I felt like, man, the Lord, I need to lay out prostrate before God. I've been in those places where God has done something special and powerful. But I'm telling you, if I'm calculating right after I like, oh, I got to do this because I was wearing that outfit when that happened. And it was that pastor. Only that pastor can do this. So I got to be with that. We, we start creating methods and, and it becomes about the thing rather than what God wants to do. And we don't ever want to fall for the counterfeit. We want the authentic of God. Are you with me? 
So where, where do your desires lie this morning? When it, when, it comes to, when it comes to experiencing this outpouring of the Spirit and you expressing that which God wants to bestow upon you in your life, where, where, where do you lie with this thing? If God says, I will pour out my Spirit upon all people, this means you. What does that mean for you? What, 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 is, what desire is birthed in you that you want to experience this? Because here's what I also know about revival. Revival comes from an expectant people. Life comes from an expectant people. When people give themselves to something that God is doing with an expectation that he is going to see it through. What is, what is your expectation? What is, what is your desire this morning? You know, we've been in this revival series for three weeks now, um, and, and you might be feeling like, I don't know if I need any of that. Like, I have Jesus in my heart. Like, what else do I need? Do I need a revival? I mean, do I need this outpouring that they're talking about? You know, and, you know, the, the, these examples they've been using from church history. Do like, do we need that? I want, I want to remind you that we cannot separate God's presence from God's power. They operate together. And so I believe that every person desires the presence of God. It's what has drawn us to him. It's what brought us to a place to accepting Christ in our lives as our savior. We desired his presence in our life. But I'm telling you, you cannot desire his presence without his power. They come together there's an endowment that comes when we receive Jesus Christ into our lives as Savior and Lord. There's an endowment that comes because he said so. <laughs> and, I, and I know that in, in our culture that doesn't work, and especially for kids, this doesn't work really well anymore. It used to work when I was a kid because I said so. I was like, got it. Nowadays, you tell kids because I said so, and they're like, well, you're going to have to explain that to me. I'm like, what? You little two-year-old, what are you saying to me? <laughs> God has promised so much with his presence. God has promised so much with, with God the Spirit. So, so revival is not, listen friends, it's not only something that happens to you. Revival is something that happens through you. Are you hearing me? We, we can be so... consumeristic in our approach to the presence of God. I want his presence. I want his presence. I want his presence. I want his presence. But let me ask a question. Why? Why? Because we see what happens with people of God who are filled with the presence of God in scripture. We see what happens with the presence of God when it is outpoured upon a people of God who are willing to say, yes, Lord, here we are. Use us. We see that revival doesn't just happen to people. I, I, I believe, yes, it happens. I believe his presence is an experience, but it's not just an experience. It's something that happens through us. There, there's there's a, a lingering effect. There's a, a fruit from the revival that comes from this outpouring. And so um, here's how the apostle Paul spoke uh, of 
of desiring presence and power in the book of Philippians. He's writing this letter to the church in Philippi, Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. And he says this. He says, I want to know Christ. How many of you want to know Christ? And maybe you're saying, I know Christ. What are you talking about? I want to know Christ more, another version would say. I want to know Christ more. There, there's, there's levels to this thing, right? There is depth to our relationship with God. There is, there is more knowing. Look at your neighbor and say, there's more knowing. There is more knowing. There is deeper knowing when it comes to God, right? But the Apostle Paul, I mean, and this is the Apostle Paul. You got to think of this man's body of work. This man experienced God unlike many people on the planet. I mean, God smacked him off his horse, right? Reveals himself to the apostle Paul personally. I am Jesus Christ, the Lord whom you persecute, right? This, this, this is how he revealed himself to the apostle Paul. And yet the apostle Paul still had a hunger and a desire in his heart to know Christ more. I want to know Christ, but listen, he doesn't leave it there. He says this, and can you say, and, and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him sharing in his death so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. These two things marked the apostle Paul's life. I want to know Christ. And secondly, I want to experience the mighty. So it's not wrong for us to want to experience his presence. But listen, he says power. He says power. He doesn't just say presence. He says power. I want to experience his power. And Roman, Romans chapter 8 verse 11 actually tells us what this power is. Listen, friends. The spirit of God. Can you say the spirit of God? Who raised Jesus from the dead. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead. Listen, friends, lives in you. Lives in you. So this wanting to know Christ and wanting to experience the power, this power of the Holy Spirit that lived inside of him. He wants to experience his power, the power that raised Jesus from the dead. I need, I need us to think about this for a second. I don't want to move on. The greatest thing to ever happen on this planet was Christ resurrecting from the dead, coming back to life after a brutal crucifixion that was a sacrifice for all time for yours and my sins. Without his resurrection, without that revival that took place in the, in, in, in the body of Jesus Christ here on this planet, there was no fullness of salvation for each and every one of us. Because of this resurrection, this power of the Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead, the greatest thing that ever happened on the planet, listen to me, lives inside of us. It lives, he lives inside of us. This power I don't know about you. That's a lot of responsibility. That there, there's, there's, a, there's a pulling in, in, my, in, in my soul about this thing. I want to experience the power that raised Jesus from the dead. If you're desperate for a revival this morning, 
or if you're desperate for an outpouring, I want to experience this out. I want to experience his presence. I want to let you know, each and every one of us, that revival is living inside of you. Revival is living inside of you, each and every one of us. And I don't care if you've known Jesus for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, or you meet him today. Revival lives inside of you. This, this Genesis chapter six account that takes place when God, man sins, Adam and Eve, we know this as a fall. They fall from grace and they fall into sin. And so the, these, these two created beings, a son and daughter of God created and his image choose to live outside of his grace, right? You guys know the story. And so as God gave him his presence, we recognize that eventually they were booted from the garden. This, this, this holy place where God would come and reveal himself to them on the daily, right? They, they no longer were, were capable of carrying his presence. In Genesis chapter six, verse three, it says this, my spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time. Right. Another version would say, my spirit will not always strive with man. Right. So he's like, I'm not going to contend. I'm not going to force myself on a people who don't desire my presence. It's not what God does. And so he lifts his presence. So, so we know that mankind's age, age limit took, takes place in this portion of scripture to 120 years. But listen to this, but because of Jesus now, each and every one of us, again, have full access to the presence of God. As it was originally intended in Genesis, where we would walk. What's, what's that song? Uh, and he walks with me and he talks. That was a, maybe you guys remember that, that song. And he tells me that I am his own. This is intimate presence with God. I'm with him. He's with me. We are connected, right? This is the revival I dream about for saints that they know Jesus, that they walk with him and they, they talk with him and that they get to experience the power of God like this, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that they know that that power is alive in them. It's alive in you. It's alive in me. Galatians chapter five, verse 25 says this, since we are living by the spirit, let us follow the spirits leading in every part of our lives. Another version would say, since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Have you ever seen anyone out of step? Right? If, you've, if you've been part of a marching band or if you've been in the military, you can see everyone's in sync. And it's, it's like this crazy uniform thing. Like they're moving as one unit, right? And you can see a person who's off. <laughs> that person who's off, you can just say, oh, yeah, that guy's off. Right? Yeah, that guy's messing up. Right? Out of step. But we're to be a people who are in step with the Spirit. The spirit of the living God that is living inside of you is moving and he is wanting to operate through you and he's pulling you and he is urging you and he's encouraging you to be a witness for him here in this world, to, to operate in atmospheres that only you've been ordained to operate in with your family units and your school uh, uh, surroundings and your workplaces. These are ministries in, in, in arenas and spheres that God has called you to. And the spirit of the living God inside of you is wanting you to stay in step with him. 
And you can kind of tell when you're off. I'm not saying I can tell when you're off, but you can tell when you're off. You just feel it. You're just not in sync. Russell Hayes said this also in his book, same book, Exorcism to Ecstasy. Weird title. We live in an age of great power and yet great impotence. And that's strange. Right? We, th- this, this new covenant, also known as the Holy Spirit age, we live in an age of great power and yet great impotence. People who have been entrusted with so much as a people of God, and yet how much do we actually operate in? When you think about the, the human brain, right? They, they, I don't know who the guys who make up the studies are. You might know who they are. But we only use a small portion of our brain's power, right? And then there's, there's, there's training that you can do to kind of unlock these different levels of your brain's power so that you can operate at a, at a higher capacity, right? So you can imagine if, if all the potential in this brain of ours was unlocked, what you would be able to do. You know, they have movies about this kind of stuff where, you know, the potential of their brain's unlocked and then guys just start solving all these crazy things. You know, uh, Beautiful Mind was kind of like, you know, it just able to, to tap into parts of the brain that most people can't tap into. What about the spirit of God inside of you? What's the percentage that we're tapping into? What, what, what's the percentage that we're tapping into the spirit of God inside of us and, and the potential for us to be the church that he's called us to be, to be the people that he's called us to be. Back in, in the Showtime Lakers days, you guys might know this story. Pat Riley, if you guys know Pat Riley, eventually went to um, New York. Boo. But uh, he was slick. You know, the young guy, he had that slick hair, haircut. You know, he was, he, was, he was a player's coach. He was a good coach. And we were going from back to back to a three-peat. And eventually we tried to get that four-peat that uh, eluded us. But this is what he challenged his team with. If you could get 1% better in three areas of your game, each and every one of you, then there's no way that we can be beat again. No way. And I know that's a very different kind of arena to operate in the basketball court versus this life that God has given us. But just think about this. When does revival happen? I think it's, it happens when people take God at his word. And we begin to do the things that he's asked us to do. Can you imagine if this church chose today? When I mean church, I mean us as a people. Not this building. Not the leaders. This church, us. We as a people, if we chose to tap in, and I'm, I'm, I'm being, I don't think there's a percentage thing that God works with. But listen, if we tapped into one more percent in this next season of our life, what would happen to this church? If there's a hundred people in this building right now, we've just tapped into a hundred percent more of something God can do. And I don't know what that'll look like, but I know it'll look like multiplication. And I'm not just talking about numeric growth. I'm talking about we growing 
I'm talking about us growing. I'm talking about God lifting the maturity of the life of this church to begin to see beyond our walls, begin to reach this community in new ways, begin to see revival take place. Because revival doesn't just affect a church. It affects communities. It, it, it affects regions. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says this, but you will receive power. Can you say power? Power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses to all people everywhere. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. East L.A., Boyle Heights, Southern California, and to the end of the world. We will be God's witnesses. This, this is a mark of God's people. We receive power and we become witnesses. Can you imagine if we stepped into one more percent of that, or if we got real crazy and said, Lord, I want two more percent. What, what would that look like if we chose to allow revival to start with us? The fruit of power, I believe, is multiplication. Acts chapter 247 says, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And we know that the context of this Pentecost has taken place. The spirit of the Lord has fallen. Many people come to know Jesus by receiving uh, um, the gospel from Peter, accepting Christ as Lord of their life, being baptized. And then they begin to develop this authentic community that just bursts on the scene where hospitality is flying all over the place. People are, are coming into each other's homes and sharing meals and dedicating themselves to prayer and the apostles teachings and to communion. I mean, there's all this stuff taking place. And listen to this. All the while praising God, enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Multiplication is a fruit of revival. When we allow the spirit of God to just use us in any way, shape or form that he chooses. So this is the powerful church. The impotent church or an impotent life will always leave a people hungry and desperate. Will always leave a people hungry and desperate. And I don't believe that was ever God's heart for his church, for his people to be hungry and desperate. I'm going to go back to a, 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 a quote that I said with, um, on the first week, A.W. Tozer. It's useless for large companies of believers to spend long hours begging God to send revival Unless we intend to reform, we may as well not pray. Unless praying men have the insight and faith to amend their whole way of life and to conform to the New Testament pattern, there can be no true revival. Revival, again, friends, is not something that happens to us. It happens through us and it pen penetrates every area of our lives. One of the greatest desires of our church as Restoration LA is to be a biblical church. And I know every church believes they want to be a biblical church. I, I, I truly believe that. I don't believe churches start out and say, hey, we want to be unbiblical. I don't believe anyone is like that. But we want to be a biblical church. And wanting to be a biblical church means this, friends. It doesn't mean we mimic. It means we see the biblical pattern and we choose to pattern ourselves after that in this era that God has called us to. The early church was full of presence, full of power, and it needed no revival because there was no re. It was, they were the revival. I know that's not a word, but that's what it was. 
And since we've been trying to get back, when you would think that 2,000 years later, we should be so far ahead of where they were. Because this is the way the Lord operates. He's a God of more, not a God of less. I think where we see biblical pattern, especially in the New Testament, we need to grab a hold of it. We need to pattern our lives after it, pattern our togetherness after it, however that looks in 2021, and begin to see God use his people in powerful ways like he always had throughout scripture and throughout eternity. God has poured out his spirit upon you for such a time as this. The verse we open up with is the Lord said, I will pour out my spirit upon all people in the last days. And whether you believe these are the last days or not, I don't know. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. If you do, if you know, keep that to yourself. We're closer than ever. And I believe God is pouring out his spirit like never before. And I want to be a vessel for him to use and overflow. And that's my prayer for each and every one of us. Would you mind closing your eyes this morning? If, if you're willing this morning, I've, I've brought some, some oil and I'm not going to bathe you in it. <laughs> but if you're feeling like you need a fresh anointing from the Lord, if you're feeling like in this season, maybe Lord, I've been I've really been a consumer and I, I just, I haven't entered into that producing arena yet. And I want to be used, God. I want to allow your spirit to use me in new ways. I need a fresh anointing. Maybe you need a personal revival. The spirit of the living God already lives inside of you. If you said yes to Jesus, it's a promise that was given and it's, he is powerful. And what's amazing is a powerful God has always chosen to use unpowerful people. <laughs> Ordinary, insignificant people. People from East LA. People from Boyle Heights and Pasadena and Pico Rivera. People from Roland Heights. People from Inglewood. Commerce, Montebello, Whittier, who might be living under the radar, insignificant lives. And yet the spirit of the living God that rose Jesus from the dead is living in each and every one of you. I say, let him roar. <laughs> let him use you. Let him use you to love your neighbors. Let him, let him use you to, to serve the poor. Let him, let him use you to witness to the unbeliever. Let him use you to be his hands and feet. We're officially going to end the service right now. But if you feel like you need a fresh anointing, I would love for you to just come up and I want to anoint you this morning. There's nothing holy about me or, or this oil. It's a prophetic act. 
the Spirit of the God, reminding you that the Spirit of God is upon you. And as a believer, you've been commissioned. You've been commissioned by God to do mighty works on this planet. On your way out, if you, as you're leaving, we have ushers by the back door who are ready to collect offerings. If not, you can use our online platform if you would like to do that. Go with God. Go in peace. For those of you who need an anointing, I'll, I'll be here. Amen.